Hi, Hero. Hi, Emma. Hi. This is new and exciting for us because you are the first person we've ever had that is not a Janina. And I very nearly said, hi, Janina. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not me. That's somebody else. No. But Janina is off at doing Within the Wires and other important other things. And so in order to talk about the Ptolemies, which I've done all the research for before I forget it all, <laughs> I have uh, coerced you into sitting in for Janina as you are the only person I know who has officially won an award for podcasting. I have. I have. Do you want to introduce yourself or would you like me to introduce you? I want to hear what you say about me. I want to hear how okay. you introduce me. <laughs> <laughs> so... Hero Owen, otherwise known as HR Owen, is the British Fantasy Award-winning podcaster, host, writer, producer, everythinger of Monstrous Agonies, a now-finished podcast which offers life advice to monsters yeah, and creatures of the night mm -hmm. and soon-to-be writer, producer, host, everythinger of Travelling Light, a space-based mm -hmm. choose-your-own-adventure podcast. Yep. I, I appreciate the question at the end there where you're like, <laughs> I have been paying attention to your new project, but it hasn't started yet and I'm not quite sure what it's about. Well, <laughs> so. yeah. I, have, I mean, all I've heard is you tell me about it. So Yeah. yeah. Whereas Monstrous Agonies, you were on. I was so, on. Yeah, if... if History of Sexy Fans want to hear Emma pretend to be a Roman historian. <laughs> <laughs> a Roman historian in a world of tentacled beasts. Yeah, yeah. Then um, they can they can find your little bonus episode. Yeah. I don't remember the episode number, sorry. But it's there. Um, but everyone should listen to that. But Hero is also um, a person with a kind of history, theology background and also a fun person. <laughs> and it's so rare that those two go together. <laughs> it really, I mean, yeah, we're a rare breed of people who are fun and interesting to talk to and don't want to well actually the life out of everything. So, <laughs> so yeah, so we're, I'm going to tell you about Ptolemy's hero uh, and I hope you're excited. I am. I'm braced. I'm, I'm, you're braced. Yeah, I, I'm expecting a whirlwind adventure through the ages and if i get anything <laughs> less than that i shall sue Objection! uh it is going to be a whirlwind because we're going to do like 300 years of history oh perfect in approximately one hour narrator's voice they did not manage it in one hour excellent and it's going to involve a lot of incest great i'm all for that <laughs> 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 but it's quite a good period because it starts with alexander the great and ends with Cleopatra. So it starts and ends with two very big mm. characters from ancient history, which I quite like about it as a story. And then in the middle, there's a bunch of people who all have the exact same name. Yes. I was saying before we started recording, I was trying to do some research, but got distracted. But the first thing that it says on the sort of Ptolemy's Wikipedia page is that everybody's called Ptolemy and all the women only have three names. And you're yeah. like, okay, great. That's that's not going to get really <laughs> difficult at all. <laughs> it's incredibly difficult immediately. Like instantly it becomes incredibly yeah. difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and talking about it is really hard. And then they're like, you're like, oh, okay, so we can, we did decided to differentiate. So everybody's got like a little surname that 
they're kind of got made up for them mm. uh, which is fine until they start reusing those surnames great that's great that's just what you want so that's eventually so helpful. <laughs> we get to a point where we're like ptolemy a ptolemy h you jerty is the second <laughs> great great <laughs> so we're just gonna have to hope that we remember that as soon as one ptolemy is dead there's usually only one or perhaps two Ptolemies alive at the same time. Right. Okay. So just going to have to do our best here. Yeah. And that is significantly more than the Ptolemies were doing. <laughs> <laughs> he, like the first couple were doing their best and the rest of them were not even trying. Yeah. But So this question comes from Paul Wright. His question is very simply, uh, and I love the simplicity of the question, what is the history of the Ptolemies? So we're just going to start at the beginning with, you'll never guess his name, it's Ptolemy. Oh my God. Ptolemy the first. Ptolemy the first. That's handy. (laughs) I expect them all to be that easy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's the only one that ever gets just kind of called Ptolemy Mm. because he did call himself Ptolemy the first Sota, but we're just going to call him Ptolemy. And he is a Macedonian guy who is in the army of Alexander the Great and spends most of his life... uh, I've written in my notes chilling with Alexander on his exploits, but Alexander was notably not a chill man. (laughs) No, no, that's not how I... He wasn't Alexander the chill, was he? (laughs) He wasn't Alexander the cool. (laughs) Alexander the super laid back and not that fussed about anything. <laughs> no, Alexander the very intense, if anything. <laughs> so, doing the exact opposite of chilling with Alexander mm. is what he was doing as Alexander blasted his way around the entirety of Asia up into India. Right. <laughs> and built 400 cities called Alexandria <laughs> due to his extreme chillness. <laughs> And Ptolemy was following him along, basically, started mm-hmm. in Macedonia and tootled along in his footsteps. We did just do an episode on Alexander the Great, so this is kind of a part two to that, I guess. Because what happens is that Alexander dies without any actual children and without any plans to as to who's going to take over his empire huh. and with no... No foresight whatsoever. <laughs> just... No, he died quite young, to be fair. He died in his 30s. Okay. Not even a pot plant. He didn't even have a, a monstera to leave the empire to. <laughs> he didn't. We're lucky he didn't leave it to a horse or something. So, <laughs> But I do suspect he thought that he would might live just forever. Mm. So what happened was, I'm going to skim over this because it's boring and it mostly involves wars, but it took about 20 years, but eventually the generals that he had kind of put in charge as his second-in-commands in various areas split the empire, his empire, into four parts. And they're called the successor empires. Ptolemy gets Egypt and a bit of Syria and Cyprus and a couple of other islands. And he gets this because he stole Alexander the Great's body. Oh, Oh, what which a, is good. What a same start to a dynasty. <laughs> it is. It's good, isn't it? The whole thing. How did I want to hear more of this? What did? How did he? Was there a heist? Did he? Uh, there, yeah, there kind of was a heist. <gasps> uh, Alexander kind did want to be buried in Egypt, but the guy who kind of was. 
the highest up in Alexander's army was a guy called Pedicus, which is a good name now that I say it out loud. Uh, <laughs> and he kind of had control of everything. And Ptolemy thought that he had a bit too much control of everything. So he sort of nicked the body from him, constructed his tomb, buried, like made a big tomb for him in Alexandria and, and kind of cut everybody out of the process of burying alexander and therefore was like i've got his body what are you going to do about it and (laughs) the answer was that loads of people were going to invade egypt and then they were going to get into a war for friggin ages but eventually it shakes out that ptolemy gets egypt a guy called antigonus gets asia minor macedonia gets its own little thing under a guy called cassander who just immediately dies um, and seleucus gets persia and Macedonia kind of stops being important pretty much immediately. But the next three, 200 years, I would say, are the Ptolemaic Empire, the Empire in Asia Minor, and the Seleucids in Persia just really disliking each other intensely. Fabulous. <laughs> and we are going to have some wars. And when I say some wars, I mean like a billion. <laughs> when you get to the seventh Syrian war... you. <laughs> You're going to wish they also had come up with different names for those things. I was going to say, I was going to say, there's, um, yeah, seven is a bit much, isn't it? World War One, you can manage. World War Two, you're all right with seven. Oh, come on. <laughs> you're, yeah. You're like, maybe start thinking of different names at the yeah, very least. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, but Syria is this place that everybody wants and always has been for all of its history has been a space that everybody wants to own. And therefore, anybody who lives there just gets kind of stuck Mm -hmm. in the middle of people fighting over it. But eventually, around about 305, so this is 20-ish years after Alexander dies, Ptolemy is happy in Egypt. He has his palace in Alexandria. He is officially king of Egypt and he is a... Macedonian man now ruling Egypt with his wife, who's called Berenice, Mm -hmm. and his 12 children. Cool. And he starts the what is going to become the way that the Ptolemies rule, because they are invaders, obviously, they're not Egyptian at this point, and they are based in Alexandria, which was founded by Alexander, Mm. and is a brand new city that has no previous history. And previously, Egypt has been being ruled from Thebes, which is now Luxor. However, Egypt had not been being ruled prior to Alexander by Egyptians. It had been part of the Persian Empire, which Alexander destroyed. So they're quite happy that the Macedonians have turned up because at least they're not the Persians, basically. (laughs) And uh, Ptolemy does a very clever thing, which is that he does not attempt to repress in any way the very ancient Egyptian religion and mm. culture, he just joins in. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose if you're, if you're going to own a bunch of, you know, countries, I suppose getting stuck in with them is, is the best way to go about it. Yes. Yeah. And it works very well because the kind of ruling elite of, of Egypt by this point are the priest class. Mm-hmm. And so by joining in and by presenting himself as being continuity rather than trying to overthrow the the priest class by like letting them crown him and by giving like presenting himself in pharaonic fashion, Mm. he makes them like him. They're like, okay, cool. Like, fine. Yeah. They're like, that's a pharaoh. We know what to do with a pharaoh. 
yeah, you know, he looks a bit yeah. different, talks a different language, but you know, we can get on. That's fine. Well, we can get on exactly yeah. as long as he's nice to us. It's fine. Cool. Which he does. Hmm. And the other thing that he does is he builds the Great Library of Alexandria. <gasps> that one. Yeah. That one we all that know one. about. The one that Tumblr loves so much, even though they do not know anything about it. Anything about it at all, but they love it very, very much. <laughs> yeah. That is that is a very Tumblr attitude to take, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Every, I only ever really see Tumblr stuff when it has made its way three years later to Instagram. Mm. But very often, because obviously I talk to classics people and I do classics stuff, I do see stuff about the Library of Alexandria kind of crossing over my dashboard Mm -hmm. and very often they seem to think that everything that was in it was lost completely yes yes and that everything that existed was in it i think is the other half of the 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 myth that they enjoy neither of which were quite true but it was quite a cool place and it did aim to have every possible book in a kind of british library Mm. way Mm -hmm. like you know if you publish something you're legally obligated to send the British Library a copy. Mm, mm-hmm. And so they ideally have everything that's ever been published yeah. in English or in England. What they don't tell you is that actually works the other way around as well. If you send your terrible self-published novel to the British <laughs> Library, HarperCollins is legally obliged to publish it for you. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. It explains a lot, the stuff that HarperCollins It really does, doesn't it? <laughs> That's why so much of it sounds like it came off of Wattpad. (laughs) And then we get sued into oblivion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's fine. There's allowed to be bad art. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, And the Library of Alexandria largely agreed Mm. because they let people come and hang out there. And if they thought you were a good scholar, they would pay for you to be there, which is nice. And they did lots and lots of literary analysis and maths and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was a nice, fun, cool place to be, which is nice. All of the editions, for example, of Homer and Hesiod and a lot of the tragedies, Greek tragedies, are editions that were created at some point at the Library of Alexandria. So didn't lose everything, lads. (laughs) They won't listen. There's there's no point correcting Tumblr. (laughs) <laughs> they just do their own thing it's yeah. fine I'll let them they're just living uh, in their own reality I say this as a yeah. as Tumblr native you know I'm, I'm I'm speaking of my people here yeah yeah insane <laughs> yeah god bless them that's why we yeah. like them right so that's Ptolemy 1 Ptolemy 1 fights some wars yeah. starts a dynasty settles down creates Alexandria starts a library rolling around seems being like happy. an alright kind of guy Ptolemy the first and chillest. Yeah, yeah pretty much. He is yeah. the chillest. The only one that comes close is possibly his son, who is called Ptolemy II. Not Ptolemy. Ptolemy. Not- <laughs> <laughs> We're going to call him Ptolemy now, which is better than his the name that he has given in the history books, which is the name that he took about halfway through his reign, which is Ptolemy II Philadelphus. Mm. And Philadelphus translates to sibling lover. Oh, well... <laughs> So that's good for everybody who I lives in Philadelphia. I wonder that's a bit of foreshadowing for the entire <laughs> dynasty. <laughs> yes. So Ptolemy II becomes king in mm-hmm. 282 BCE. So Ptolemy I got about 20 years of being relatively chill. And he is 
massive expansionist. So he is kind of the peak guy. And the first thing he does immediately is start the first Syrian war against the Seleucid Emperor, attempting to take Syria. <laughs> and then when that ends, he starts the second Syrian war. Great. Great. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> so so good. he starts that as a as a process. He then starts a bunch of things that are going to become what's what's the right word? Traditional, shall we say, for mm-hmm. the Ptolemies. The first is intersibling wars and rivalries. <laughs> okay. Well, uh-huh. sibling rivalry, fairly normal. It is. You and know. the Ptolemies do it more than really anyone else <laughs> ever. He has a couple. He has twelve siblings, and all of them basically kind of want some power mm-hmm. because there is no process for princes. Basically, you're either the king or you're not. Right. Okay. Is that related to the god pharaoh thing, or is that just a weird quirk? Kind of, but it's also just that they don't ever seem to have come up with the process of dealing with people who are in the royal family and have the exact same parentage and the Mm. exact same upbringing as the oldest son, but aren't the oldest son. Like They just have kings and not kings. And this is kind of what happens with a lot of, you know, when you start a new monarchy, you have to find something to do with all the other sons. <laughs> because otherwise what happens is everybody starts killing each other. Yes. And so Philadelphus, or Ptolemy, as we're going to call him, <laughs> starts uh, off having a big fight with his older brother, who is called Ptolemy. Uh, of course. <laughs> Ptolemy Kurinus, who he eventually drives out of Egypt, um, and he moves to uh, Macedonia. In his Ford Fiesta. <laughs> <laughs> and a stinking yeah. rage. He's yeah. out of there. He's out of there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that happens before he becomes king. He, he manages to overthrow his older brother before he becomes king, Good which job. allows him to take it. He then fights another half-brother who's called Magus. Oh, that was a really excited noise just because he wasn't called Ptolemy. <laughs> just because he's not called Ptolemy. Yeah. I was like, oh, oh, Magus, Hello. That'll do. <laughs> it's a little close to maggot, but we'll yeah. take it. I mean, yeah, take what we can get. <laughs> you wait till we've got 15 of these to get through. Oh, so. good God. I know, right? One of them may or may not exist, if that helps. It doesn't, massively. <laughs> <laughs> so Magus was kind of ruling uh, Libya, a bit of Libya called Serenica, and tried to steal it and make it his own standalone kingdom. Sure. And Riz killed two of his brothers and eventually Ptolemy had to destroy him. And there's a lot, so much fighting going on between all of the brothers. And he's also got the first Syrian war going on that Ptolemy introduces the next thing which will become traditional, which is that if you're not fighting your siblings, you're fucking them. Excellent. That. A little less commonly widespread than sibling rivalry. (laughs) Yeah. A little bit more niche. It's very niche. (laughs) And it starts when Ptolemy marries his half-sister, Arsinoe, Arsinoe II. Oh. That's an unfortunate name, name, isn't it? Yeah. Great, great. This is kind of a a traditional, it's not really that traditional, but it is something that Egyptian 
pharaohs would occasionally do. And it seems to me that's where he got the idea for it from, mm-hmm. which was that he was very invested in keeping the Egyptian population and the Egyptian priesthood on board. And he seems to have quite liked the idea of, of sister marriage. <laughs> Sure. The theory is that they do this because it is a way of demonstrating that you are more than human as a king, basically. Right. Because pharaohs are semi-divine, basically. They are closer to the gods than the normal mortals. And that is how they are presented in Egyptian religion. And so... the. The theory goes that this is something that gods can do. They can fuck their sisters. Right. And is that like... Because they're gods, normal social rules don't apply? Or is it because they're gods, the sort of genetic implications of fucking your sister don't apply? Is it like, is it, what's what's the logic uh, there? It's the normal social rules don't apply. Okay. So much in the same way that like Jupiter and, and Hera, or Zeus yeah. and Hera, are sisters and brothers, but they're also husband and wife like right. the rules don't apply right and like the god people ask us ask me this quite often but like athena and minerva like as goddesses they're women but they're gods of war and also of wisdom which is things that women in real life can't do but they're not women they're gods right okay so gods can transgress gender boundaries because they're not bound to them in that i'm sort of i'm sort of thinking it's a bit weird that like they didn't all do it because you're sort of going well wouldn't it be a bit weird for your god king to marry a regular mortal <laughs> kind yeah 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 Whereas exactly. his sister you would be like well that's you're if you're a bit god then your sister's probably a bit god yeah yeah and therefore they're the only person that you should marry mm. mm-hmm yeah Great. And that's the logic, basically. <laughs> so sensible. It just it makes so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With the bonus, that it also stops other families from getting any power because yes. other families don't have a claim to the kids. Thankfully, they don't have that many children because they kill each other way too often. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> what a relief. <laughs> yeah. And which starts immediately with he adopts Arsenault's son from her previous marriage Mm -hmm. rather than having children together. And that makes that child his co-regent. So that's going to be his heir rather Mm -hmm. than them having kids, which is fine. Unfortunately, that child immediately rebels against him. Great, great. You're not my real dad, uh, uncle. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. She's like, I'm going to take this. I can do this. So Ptolemy has to have him fired. (laughs) which is nice and then he goes and finds other children that he reinstates who he had who are his children from his previous marriage they're so they're fucking complicated family already (laughs) we're only on the second one I know this sounds ludicrous because he's literally killed all of his brothers adopted married his sister adopted a cousin disinherited his children, re-inherited his children. (laughs) Uh, But he's one of the good guys. Yeah. (laughs) And he starts a lot of the stuff about making the Ptolemies a divine family. Okay. And he honours his parents as gods. He honours himself as a god. He sets up a whole big festival to the Ptolemies called the Ptolemaea, which is good, and presents himself as a pharaoh, and builds himself temples and things and does all kinds of things. And everybody quite likes him. Right. 
And is everybody on board with that, even though they're Macedonian originally, not yeah. Egyptian? Everyone's just like, well, if you say so, bruh. <laughs> kind of. There is never really a point where nobody is rebelling against them. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they do, they do generally. I mean, they rule for 300 years and mostly because they are respectful of the the fact that they are in a country that has a very, 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 very ancient mm. culture mm-hmm. that has not changed that much in at least iconographically yeah. and in religion for a very, very long time. And so they're respectful of that. They're like, okay. And also the good Ptolemies. So Ptolemy III, Ptolemy III Eugertes uh-huh. is... Just his son, which is good, <laughs> uh, not with his sister. And he is kind of, I think, probably the best one. He uh, does lots of expansion. He takes over Greece. He takes the empire to its biggest point if you're into empires. <laughs> I was going to say, you're listing all this. You're like, he's the best one because he does the most <laughs> empire. <laughs> like, if you're into empires, that doesn't really then... track with what I know of your, your usual morals, Emma. <laughs> normally i'm largely against him i mean i'm a quaker and my problematic historical fave is genghis khan so i can't really talk (laughs) i mean my problematic fave in history is caligula so (laughs) i just don't think it counts as a problematic fave if they're not problematic like that's the whole point point. (laughs) so you gertie's can be a problematic fave excellent Yeah, he does some expansion. He writes a little history of himself. He marries Berenice, who is merely a cousin, not even a sibling. Very normal. Very normal for the royals. I know, it's quite good. Uh, He builds a second library in Alexandria um, and he introduces this policy whereby every book that arrives in Alexandria in the docks Mm. is seized and copied out and a copy is put in the library before it's given back to its original owner. That's quite cool. That's quite fun. Unless you're really desperately waiting for like the next instalment of something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then you get a job as a scribe, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And you're like hand copying all of these sailors' weird fanfics. For the for the archives, <laughs> and you're like, it's all right. One day I'll get the next update on that that series that yeah. I really like, and it'll all be worth it eventually. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what good series they would have, but I hope that there was fanfic. <laughs> so, so he does that. He also has in his court Erastenes, who is a famous philosopher and mathematician, who is the first person to calculate the circumference of the Earth. Oh, good job, Erastenes. And, yeah, got there very, very accurately. Oh. So he also spends a fair whack of time like fighting Persians um, because he loves fighting Persians. There's a small uprising in Egypt, but he also does things like supporting the priesthood. He's endorsed by a synod of Egyptian priests mm-hmm. and he there's a famine in Egypt during his time and he is praised for doing what feels very basic, but I think that's like the idea of a state didn't really exist at this mm. time. So apparently this is exemplary behavior is that he imported wheat to stop people from starving oh, to death. Good job. Well, do you know, uh, yeah. having fairly recently lived through a government not doing very much in the throes of a global crisis, I think I can respect someone who does the bare fucking minimum. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And at this time, you know, there is little in the way of 
global trade as we yeah. would imagine it. So yeah. importing wheat, buying wheat from somewhere else and importing it in 240 BC <laughs> is, is, is considered to be exemplary. I like the idea of him being like, you know, you can just buy bread, right? We can just buy it. We can just... We can just buy some. <laughs> just go to the shop and buy some yeah, bread. Like, it's all right. They've got some next door. It's fine. <laughs> like that bit in Alan Partridge. Like, if you will be fussy, <laughs> if you can afford to emigrate, you can afford to go to a decent restaurant. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so he lives a relatively happy life. There's a Ptolemy three year Gertes. He dies in 222. Mm, wearing a tutu. And his son takes over. Ptolemy the fourth, mm-hmm. Philopater, which means lover of father. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. Which cool. is nice. And this is where things start to get real weird. No. Yeah. Don't say. So three generations down. We've got three generations, which is actually quite good. <laughs> For history. So we're eighty <laughs> years into the Ptolemies, and they've only been minorly weird so far. Yeah. So Ptolemy IV, Philopater, becomes king in 221. Mm-hmm. He immediately purges his entire family. Oh, <laughs> gosh. <laughs> With the help of his sister wife, Arsinoe III. Oh, great. That's great. Love the phrase sister wife. <laughs> yeah. And his mystery, who has my favourite name in this entire episode, I think. She's called Agatha Clear. Oh, that's quite nice. Isn't it nice? Yeah, that's quite a pretty name. So, <laughs> but okay, so he purges his entire family. Yes, one of them is scalded to death in the bath. Ooh. Oh, that's mm. that's vi- vivid, visceral. It is. Mm. This is the point at which I'm going to note that virtually all of the sources that we have about the Ptolemies are Roman and from kind of the first, second century CE. So, okay. So would they be doing this sort of thing where they're like making them sound I'm I'm clinging to straws here. I'm like, maybe they made them sound <laughs> worse than they were. Maybe they weren't quite so they horrid. They almost certainly made them sound worse than they are. Largely yeah. because they are all none of them can see the Ptolemies and the Ptolemaic dynasty without looking through the lens of Cleopatra. Right. Gotcha. And they consider Cleopatra to be like this you know, depraved woman who ruined everything. Mm-hmm. Real Yoko Ono of the ancient world. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the Roman understanding of history is that the gods reward good behavior with empire and reward bad behavior with the end of empire. Okay. Okay. So if your empire's ended, you they go looking for naughty things you must have done to cause it. Exactly. Yeah. And they will hype up any particularly naughty things. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> But nonetheless, this is four generations into a family who consider themselves to be literally divine. Cool. And outside of the norms of normal good human behaviour. Yeah, right enough. The fact that it took 80 years for them to get really, really bad is... is I, I don't... I think I could do maybe a month of being told I'm literally God before I yeah. start, start getting a bit boisterous. <laughs> I think we could give you six to eight minutes and you... <laughs> Well, it depends on your definition of boisterous and and uh, <laughs> allowing for my usual rate of ordinary <laughs> boisterousness, which may be higher yeah. than average. 
<laughs> I don't think you would ever, given the Quakerness, scold your brother to death in the bath, though. So, no, no, I quite like my you've brother. You've got that. So, <laughs> mm. probably not. Yeah. So, the story goes that Philippeta basically eliminates everybody in the family who has a claim to the throne and that he is specifically being led by his mistress and his mistress's brother who's called Agathocles which is also a good name and that he is like an evil kind of worm tongue figure in the background oh yeah he's twiddly moustache I've got him I know yeah Mm -hmm. Ptolemy IV also does not like war very much and anytime that anybody invades him he just lets it go basically (laughs) so he loses (laughs) <laughs> loses quite a lot of territory okay. so anytime that the Seleucids keep invading stuff and he just keeps being like uh-huh. I don't really want to what are you going to do oh, that sounds rubbish don't really want to get involved so he he loses quite a lot of territory which is the kind of thing that makes people hate you yeah yeah, yeah. Not the family, what's it called family annihilation that's not <laughs> the family annihilation does not help <laughs> And the fact that he seems to be allowing a non-royal family lots of power also doesn't help. People don't like that because then they're like, well, why not me? Right, right. At some point in 206, so about 20 years into his reign, there are these massive uprisings in both Upper and Lower Egypt. Mm -hmm. But nobody knows why. Hmm. I think we might have a few guesses, though. <laughs> we might. I think we might be able to hazard a little bit of speculation on what might have people so upset. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He also, another thing that he is famous for is spending enormous amounts of lu- money on personal luxury. Excellent. Which also people don't like. No. Like generally people don't like it when their kings aren't really doing anything for them, are losing like making the country look bad, but also is spending loads of money. So he built a pyramid for Alexandria, mm-hmm. Alexander the Great. He called himself the new Dionysus, so not an Egyptian god, but a Greek god. Mm-hmm. He built a temple to Homer, sure, which I find funny. Yeah. <laughs> and he made himself lots of just ludicrous things. So the most famous thing that he made was a book was a big boat, which is allegedly or potentially the biggest boat and the biggest man-powered thing that ever existed <gasps> in the whole of human history, oh. which is called the Tessaconteras. The Tessaconteras. Yes, which was 40 rows of rowers, 4,000 oarsmen <laughs> over 128 metres of boat. Oh, where are you going? The ancient world is not that big. (laughs) I mean, yeah. You can't really get very far. The idea of that many people rowing in at the same time is ludicrous. Yeah, they they just pull once. That's it. Yeah. It's basically a small town. As a, a, a professional ancient world rowing guy, you just do one pull and you coast along on inertia. That's true, actually. Incredible uh, acceleration. Go, <laughs> apart from the fact that they were definitely all enslaved. Yeah, I realised as I was constructing that sentence, I was like, I might be, uh, I think, yeah, I think I think they're probably definitely 100% slaves. <laughs> there they are. Bless them. But this kind of thing makes you wildly unpopular. And... So there are these big uprisings. The entirety of Thebes was turned into an independent city-state by a guy called Horwenifer. <gasps> Horwenifer? 
Hall Wenifer. That's a cat name if ever I heard one. Actually, that is a great cat name. Right. Uh, <laughs> although maybe an indoor cat because you do not want to be shouting Hall Wenifer, Hall Wenifer <laughs> across the garden. I absolutely want to be shouting that. <laughs> I want my neighbours to yeah. not be sure if it's a pet or my firstborn. <laughs> Or if you're just having some kind of terrible breakdown in the garden. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, so he's going along doing very badly, basically, okay. and being hugely unpopular until him and his wife died very close to each other under mysterious circumstances. Ooh. Possibly in a fire. Okay. In 204, so just after the massive uprisings have occurred. There's theories that he might have killed his wife and then his mistress killed him, or that his advisors, Agathocles, killed mm-hmm. both of them, or there might have been an accidental fire and they both die. Wow. We don't want that one, though. That one's boring. <laughs> it is boring. It's much better if they all kill each other. Although I feel like the king and queen dying in an accidental fire is the kind of just chaotic thing that might happen in history. Yeah. And yeah, they just slipped on like a it's... step and he landed on top of her and they both went flying. Yeah, what <laughs> poor, a nightmare. The poor attendant just watched it happen and was like, oh, no one's going to believe this was an accident. Yeah. Better set fire to the place. That's my Maybe theory. if we just burn it down, yeah. it would be better. Yeah. They did have to keep her secret for a little bit because their child, the only child, the only son they had, you know, becomes Ptolemy the Five Epiphanes Eucharisto. Oof. Which is Ptolemy the Fifth, the Manifest and Beneficent. Great. Is six years old. Ah. That's a bit little. And as we all know, when children start becoming king, things are really about to start to go downhill. <laughs> As we know from ever having interacted with a six-year-old, it's not who you want on the throne. They're mostly interested in taking their clothes off and like pointing yes. at Teletubbies or whatever. Yes. They like to tell you Very... about their socks. And mm-hmm. yeah. Wildly uninterested in uh, administration and military tactics. <laughs> they got no sense of statecraft. They got no no appreciation. <laughs> The no. art of oh. And it's very hard to make a six-year-old look magnificent. <laughs> it is. Oh, dear. oh, I'm quite fond of this little six-year-old. Oh, his head's yeah. too small for his crowd. <laughs> Just sitting. He's too small for his crowd. <laughs> He's kicking his little um, legs on the throne because he can't can't reach the floor. Give him a little and having to sit seat. in a throne. <laughs> And Matt, I can't imagine anything more boring as a six-year-old than having to be a king. No, awful, awful. Yeah. So he becomes king. His dad's mistress's brother, so that's Agatha Keys. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. His dad becomes yeah. his regent, which is why everybody thinks that he did all the murdering. Yeah. Because Agatha Clea and Agatha Cleese become very kind of become the real power for a mm-hmm. little while. The uh, Seleucids invade again. Uh, there's a load more revolts in Egypt. Now in Hwenifer, we have down in uh, Upper Egypt, which is in the south. Mm-hmm. Just to, I uh, did not learn this until I was uh, surprisingly old. So Upper Egypt is actually Southern Egypt. So oh. if you're looking on it on a map. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lower Egypt is the top bit. The okay. Kind of a rape. Okay. So just to be fun. Mm-hmm. Because apparently, not everybody ordered their entire world on where England was 
which was rude of them. (laughs) You'd think that they would be really reorienting it around where London sits. Honestly. (laughs) But very rudely, the Egyptians did not do this. No. And in fact, oriented their their world about around the Nile and the direction of the Lyle flow. Yes. (laughs) Ludicrous behaviour. Outrageous. How dare they? (laughs) Yeah, so we've got Hoenifer in Upper Egypt and then a guy called Ankhwenifer. Sure. Who, <laughs> who revolts in Lower Egypt. So mm-hmm. it's bad times. He's not really, he's six and he's not really ruling over much. No. But he manages to survive. He doesn't get murdered, doesn't do any murdering, but he comes of age in 196 BCE. Mm-hmm. His ascension to being a full king and an adult was celebrated by something called the Memphis Decree, Mm -hmm. which we know about because of a little-known thing you might have seen called the Rosetta Stone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this is what the Rosetta Stone is, because I feel like people possibly don't know. I thought it was like Geolingo. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, it's a real thing. (laughs) It's a real thing. You can go and see it in the British Museum. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be there, but that's so often. But that's where it is. So often, what comes after you can go and see it in the British Museum. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it is a decree in three languages, which announces that Ptolemy V has become the proper king of Egypt and has become the pharaoh and all kinds of like mm. fun stuff about how cool he is. It's in Demotic and hieroglyphs, and it's also in Greek. Great and. It was found by Napoleonic Frenchman called Pierre-François Bouchard. <laughs> called the most French man you could possibly name. <laughs> uh-huh. That's a good thing about the French because they have laws about what you're allowed to name people. Everybody has the most French the name most ever. French. <laughs> <laughs> it's found. It's called Rosetta Stone because it's found in a town that the French called Rosetta. Uh-huh. It's just like holding up a building and it... <laughs> allowed Egyptologists for the first time to decode hieroglyphs. Yeah. So it's because of that that we can read the hieroglyphs. That's fantastic. Which took a very long time. It ended up in England because when the British first defeated Napoleon, they raided his museums and stole a load of stuff out of it. So it's double stolen by the English. So if the British Museum gave it back, do they have to give it back to France for a bit first? I think, and then the French have to give it yeah, back to give it all the way to back. the Egyptians, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> in order to make all the things right. Yes, yeah. So, so that's what the Rosetta Stone is. So, it's a celebration of Wee Ptolemy who survived being king at six. How old was a man in uh, twelve? Twelve. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, okay, yeah. I I felt like that was important to ask because I was thinking. I think I have a sneaking suspicion. That this little yeah. boy is just a slightly larger little boy. <laughs> He's a little boy, yes. <laughs> but weirdly enough, he became like a surprisingly good king. Oh. Yeah. He, I say surprisingly good for a little while. He becomes a man at 12. He ends the war that he's involved with and he marries a Seleucid princess oh. because he doesn't have any sisters to marry. So he has to marry a royal from outside of the family. Ugh. <laughs> Isn't that nice? <laughs> Yeah. He then does the kind of thing that people like, which is reconquering loads of stuff. Mm -hmm. And he has um, kind of brought the 
the Seleucids and the Ptolemaic dynasties together for mm-hmm. the first time. So they're not enemies anymore, which starts something that becomes a real problem very soon, which is it pisses off the Romans. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the Romans are rising and are starting to spread well beyond their borders. Okay. I will not surprise you to know I don't know Rome as well as you do. Um, (laughs) So what place me in time for what's going on in Rome at the minute. So around about 190 CE this is. So they've just started going across the Mediterranean. Right. And they have just beaten Hannibal and or are beating Hannibal and they are starting to spread out of Italy. Mm-hmm. They've now got Sicily and they're moving across the sea and they're starting to imagine themselves as an empire that takes in much larger amounts of land beyond their physical borders. So up until really kind of 200-ish, they've only really thought of themselves, they've been taking over mostly Italy, but Mm -hmm. they're starting to think of taking over spaces across the sea. Mm -hmm. And so they don't like it when other empires start being friends. They like it more when other empires are fighting each Mm other. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Fortunately for the Romans, they did fall out Antiochus III, who is the king of the Seleucids, and uh, Ptolemy V. They have a fallout. The war is started again. Where are the Seleucids? What's that? They're the Persian Empire. So Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, that area. I have a very blobby map in my head (laughs) that I'm sort of painting in helpful colours so that I can try and keep track of people. Largely, so the Seleucids are in are kind of they're they're based in Iran and, and Mesopotamia, right? And the Egyptian Empire and the Seleucid Empire meet in what is kind of Syria, mm-hmm. Armenia, that mm-hmm. area, right? Um, and that kind of the top of Arabia, North Africa, and that is a place where they clash together constantly, and mm-hmm. so they're constantly pulling land backwards and forwards from each other at that point. Gotcha. Which is why they're constantly fighting. So he restarts that war in order to get some territory in Asia Minor and he's poisoned by his own courtiers because they don't want to spend money on the war. Oh, well, great. Yeah. Great. How old was he? It's 180. He was six in 204, so about 20. 20. Good job, buddy. (laughs) So, <laughs> yeah. oh, he was my favorite. I feel quite bad for him because he was. Yeah, yeah, he tried. He tried, and he was just very little. You know, mm. he should. He was been, very young. Yeah, you can't become pharaoh at twelve. You should be playing Minecraft and. <laughs> <laughs> he was playing adult Minecraft. He was mm. like literally invading places and building stuff. Yeah, like, I'm not sure Empire is a huge facet of of Minecraft. I've never played, but. I'd, don't, I don't think know. it's a lot of invasion and empire building. You do a lot of building. I know that because my nephew insisted upon showing me the little thing he'd built in Minecraft Amazing. last week. Amazing. But mostly he had an entire room that was full of axolotls. Oh, how nice. That was nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's quite sweet. Yeah. Anyway, that's what he could have been doing, but he wasn't because he was poisoned mm-hmm. and his son became emperor again at the age of six. Oh, because that ended so well the first time. Yeah. Well, you see, what happens when you have a child king is that you can manipulate them. Yes. They don't really have any power. And so everybody else in the palace gets power instead. Yes. Yeah. 
So he becomes king and his mother uh, is his regent. And this mm-hmm. is the first woman who becomes a queen to who rules properly without her husband. Right. It's called Thea Epiphanes, and she rules with her son. And this starts a new thing, which is that you start getting women ruling in conjunction with men. She ended the war but instantly died, like died a year into her rule. But she did start a whole thing. And an enslaved man called Lianius and a eunuch called Eulalius become regents. Right. Ptolemy the Sixth, who's called Ptolemy the Sixth Philometor, which means lover of mother. Okay. Yes. He marries his sister mm-hmm. at the age of 11. Sure. That's great. That's a great start. (laughs) Yep. He then makes his brother his Mm co-ruler. So he decides to share power for reasons that are unclear. Things now go into what can only really be described as chaos. (laughs) (laughs) Whereby we now have co-rulers and co-rulers means factions, and factions means just fucking nightmares. Mm-hmm. So what happens is there's a sixth Syrian war is occurring mm-hmm. because the Seleucids have invaded Egyptian territory. Ptolemy Philometor loses in that war, and as a result, there is a military coup, and Alexandria riots, and he is overthrown, and Ptolemy the Sixth goes to Memphis in Lower Egypt to sulk, Mm -hmm. And the military declare his brother, who is not Ptolemy VII, but Ptolemy VIII. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, why not? Uh I think they've just assumed that you're not keeping count anymore. Uh (laughs) We're just going to mess around with it now. Now, the reason that he is Ptolemy VIII is that there is a Ptolemy VII who is called Ptolemy VII Neus Philopater, uh-huh. father-loving god, who did not probably exist. Okay. So how did he get on the list? <laughs> <laughs> so when people were initially putting together the list based on kind of Roman sources, largely, and on uh, the epigraphy that existed when they could, they thought got confused and thought that there was another one. Okay, because they've all got the same name. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't help that, one, they all have the same name, and two, there is this chaos situation because Ptolemy the sixth is overthrown, Ptolemy the eighth becomes king, Antiochus the fourth besieges Alexandria, and then Ptolemy the sixth and Ptolemy the eighth make friends again uh-huh. and then go back to Alexandria with... Cleopatra II, who is Ptolemy the Sixth's sister wife and are a happy little trio again. Okay. This happens over a period of about a decade. And so attempting to work out what the fuck was going on. <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. genuinely very odd. And that is just the beginning of the chaos. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah. So they have overthrown each other. We've had Soul King, Joint King, Soul King, Joint Kings. So at 165, we've got Ptolemy the Sixth, Ptolemy the Eighth, and Cleopatra the Second. They're all siblings. They're all fucking each other. They're all happily living in Alexandria together. And then a guy turns up in the stadium and announces that Ptolemy the Sixth was planning to assassinate. <gasps> <laughs> I'm getting into assassinate- it. Assassinate. <laughs> 
Ptolemy the Eighth. <gasps> yes. And everybody in the stadium loses their mind. Yeah. And causes a riot and a mutiny. Who who was this guy? <laughs> He's just a guy. He's just a guy. <laughs> He's just a shit stirrer. He's just a shit stirrer. (laughs) Like, he just wants, he's just there for the drama and it was too boring and he wanted drama. Amazing. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. This causes massive chaos. Hmm. Ptolemy VIII expels Ptolemy VI again. Mm -hmm. He goes to Rome and says, will you help me? Because Rome is now really got quite big. And they tell him to fuck off. Like, they're not interested (laughs) at all. (laughs) They're like literally, literally. Why would we like? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> don't, don't you know who you are to us? Absolutely. Not. I don't know who you are, <laughs> and I don't care. So they overthrow him. Mm-hmm. He goes to him. He then goes and lives in Cyprus and is sulking in Cyprus again. Okay. Well, there's worse places to sulk. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been to Cyprus. It was lovely. It's very warm, but Egypt is also very warm. Well, so. Yes, I don't. I don't think. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think maybe maybe warm is okay if you grew up in Egypt. I think so. Yeah. For me, growing up in England and living in Belfast, <laughs> it was the hottest I've ever been in my life. <laughs> but <laughs> I think you're probably fine if you live in Alexandria. Yeah. Unfortunately, nobody in Alexandria, as it turns out, likes Ptolemy VIII. They remember that they didn't like it when he was assaulting. <laughs> and so... Very shortly after they have overthrown Ptolemy VI, they invite him back. Great. (laughs) And so they they kick out. There's big riots. They kick him out. They bring back Ptolemy VI for He gets back together with his sister and everybody is is happy. Good. And everyone's like, so it turns out we can just, if we riot hard enough, the king will just leave. (laughs) And then if we riot hard enough again, he'll come back again. And the people of Alexandria learn that they have a surprising amount of power. Amazing. Amazing. Which, mm, and this one guy um, sitting there going, actually, it turns out you, you can just say shit. And- you can just say shit. <laughs> and in the middle of it is Cleopatra II, who just stays in the palace the whole time. <laughs> like swapping out brother for brother. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Ptolemy VI is now the king again. He is doing expansion because he's happy. Mm-hmm. He's trying to do battles. He gets wounded in battles, drops dead, mm. officially makes his, his seven-year-old son the king. But everybody in Alexandria is like, no, I'm not. We don't want a child king. Mm-hmm. We, do, we don't want one. <laughs> so they send a letter to Ptolemy VIII again <laughs> and bring it back. <laughs> He murders his nephew son and and becomes the king. Great. Again. It's super, super uh-huh. good job, Ptolemies. You're doing great. So, now Ptolemy the Eighth is the last guy left standing. Ptolemy the Seventh did not exist. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> it's like iPhones, didn't they jump one or something? I, I- I don't know enough about iPhones to make this joke. I've I've started it and I cannot finish it. We can't. We have no way of finishing it. (laughs) Because I also don't use any Apple products. No, no. In another universe, I just said something very funny. (laughs) (laughs) If that's true, it's hilarious. (laughs) 
<laughs> if not, ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Ptolemy the Eighth is going well. He's not actually Ptolemy the Eighth. He probably thought that he was Ptolemy the Seventh. Yes. But unfortunately, the chronology in modern historiography is stuck. So we're stuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can't go changing it now. That would just get too confusing. <laughs> yeah. He is called Ptolemy the Eighth, Eugertes II Trifon. <laughs> Sure, of course he is. <laughs> sure. Rolls right off the tongue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really impressed with you, Just You're getting all of these presumably right first time. I think so. Then again, I wouldn't know. I don't know. Somebody who know. speaks Greek better can... Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't know. You could just be making it up. Could be saying anything. If you say it with confidence, <laughs> that's all that matters. It's like being an English person in a foreign country, you just say it confidently yeah, and loudly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it works every time. Uh, anyway... So he is in, as we uh, can tell already um, in his previous incarnation as a co-ruler and as a kind of lone ruler, an agent of chaos. <laughs> and when he becomes kind of the last man standing, he continues being an absolute agent of chaos. Great. But what he does do is befriend the Romans. Um, he is, if for people who know any Roman history, there is a story about Cornelia, mother of the Gracchi. Do you know of Cornelia, the mother of the Gracchi? Um, probably, but everything everything <laughs> I know about Romans is what you have told me uh -huh. and what I have read in your books. So I feel a little shamefaced <laughs> if I don't remember it. <laughs> She's only vaguely mentioned. I mention her okay. all the time because I find her interesting. Yes. But she uh, she's considered like one of the most famous women in Roman history okay. uh, because she is considered to be like the best mother of all time. Okay. And one of the things that she does allegedly or like as part of her, her legend is that her husband died and she refused to ever remarry because she dedicated her life to her children. Right. This is ringing and a bell. Uh -huh. yeah. And she is the woman who uh, listened to a bunch of her friends talk about how much their jewellery cost. And mm -hmm. then when her sons walked into the room, said, these are my jewels. Oh, yes, I do remember her. She's fucking insufferable. Yeah, yeah an absolute prick. Just awful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a part of her legend is that she was so dedicated to being in Unawira, a, a singly married woman, that when the king of Egypt proposed to her and offered her all the riches of Egypt and to be the queen, that she turned him down. Mm. She could stay in Rome and look after her children. The king who proposed to her was Ptolemy VIII. Right. Okay. Uh -huh. So he's got no swag either. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no. He... Yeah, so he's big friends with Rome. The Romans do not like him. They called him Ptolemy VIII Physicon um, and Ptolemy VIII Cacagates. Okay. Physicon means fatty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and Cacagates means malefactor, so oh. the fat and the bad, basically. Because <laughs> uh, they like to body shame. But also, they just think he's a prick. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, yeah. I know it's oh, terrible um, fat shaming, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's very funny though. <laughs> it is. The Romans every so often are um, like they'll just go right out of their way to shame people for being fat. They just find, um, but they do it in a way where they're just like. You're fat. You're like, <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. It's the bluntness thing to say. of just being like, yeah, the name that we call you 
is just fatty. Like, like yeah. that's how we know who you are. <laughs> and notoriously unsubtle people, to be fair. Though. <laughs> anyway, so Cornelia has refused to marry him. So when he returns to Egypt, he marries his sister, sure. um, who is... To- Cleopatra II, who's just still been there for ages. Oh, it's it's the same sister. <laughs> yeah. Great. So she's kind of the stable power behind the throne <laughs> at this point. He then, having kind of learned something, just purges everybody in the city who had turned against him on the previous, like, 17 occasions <laughs> that people turned against him. Yeah. Not unreasonable. Yeah. One of the Roman sources says that he killed everyone in the city. <laughs> Which is funny on multiple levels because one, no, he didn't, <laughs> and two, that suggests that every single person in the city hated him. Yeah, I was like, I'm only going to kill you if you fucked me over last time. So that's the lot of you. Which then, is everyone, you little shits. <laughs> yeah, Valerian Maxman says that he filled a gymnasium with boys and then burned it down, which oh. is simultaneously horrible and ridiculous. Ooh. And he also. And this is documented, forced out the last head librarian of the Library of Alexandria. Like the last person that we know was a head librarian who was called Aristarchus of Samothrace Mm -hmm. when he forced him to resign and went into exile. Okay. And when you say this is documented, how how is that different than just the Romans said so? (laughs) (laughs) It's documented of more than one source. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And is not, he burned everybody in the city. Yes, yeah, yeah. You're like, and this one, we actually kind of believe. This one seems reasonable. Yeah. Yes, gotcha. Yes. He then made himself enormously unpopular by withdrawing forces from overseas territories and giving them up and then marrying his niece. Okay. Who is a child of his brother and sister so Ptolemy the sixth and and Cleopatra the second have a child yes. who is Cleopatra the third he marries that child what happened to Cleopatra the second sorry I might uh, did you... she's still going oh she, she's not only still going she is married to Ptolemy the eighth yeah so th- her daughter mm-hmm. becomes also his wife <laughs> okay uh, Gosh. At the same time. Mm. So he's now married to his sister and his niece at the same time. Yes. Which she does not like at all. No, nobody should like that. I don't think anybody yeah. should be thrilled with that arrangement. She does not because now someone's coming for her power. And so now she comes out of the shadows, mm-hmm. joins together with a mercenary captain and attempts to overthrow Ptolemy VIII claiming that they have another son in custody and this revolt fails Mm -hmm. and so she goes back to being his (laughs) co-ruler which lasts for a couple of years until she over tries to overthrow him again great i like that you get you get you get a mulligan you can try once (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it didn't really work out. All right, well, go back to being my sister wife then and co-ruler. Yeah. See, this is the fascinating thing about this stage. So we're now in 132 BCE. We're kind of eight generations down. Right. And they become simultaneously the most psychotically murderous people <laughs> and the most forgiving. <laughs> like, they absolutely try to murder each other yeah relentlessly from this point on but then 
turn around and just move straight yeah. back into the same house again. Well, I suppose they're just like, well, you know, I would have done the same in your position, obviously. Yeah, so, fair enough, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Can't really hold it against you. <laughs> uh-huh. So Cleopatra II tries to overthrow her brother and her daughter. She is very popular with the people in Alexandria, and so she manages to get herself installed in Alexandria in the palace as the kind of sole queen. Mm-hmm. And she calls herself Thea Philometor, um, the mother-loving saviour goddess. Mm-hmm. However, the people outside of Alexandria, the Egyptian people, do not like her at all, do not want to have a queen. Mm. They much prefer Ptolemy VIII. And so they refuse to acknowledge her. And they set Ptolemy up in Memphis as like another king so now we have a king a queen in alexandria ruling only alexandria great (laughs) yes um and a king in memphis who is also ruling thebes and they are in a war together right he during this war ptolemy the eighth kills the two sons that he has had with cleopatra the second uh-huh so she's managed to have children with both of her brothers oh good well done her (laughs) Uh-huh. And send okay, again Roman sources, but still mm. sends the dismembered pieces of her sons to Cleopatra the Second as a birthday present. Aww. So on her birthday, both sides appeal to Rome, who uh, is eating popcorn. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rome is just sitting there going, uh, uh. <laughs> And this is like when Rome really starts becoming like Romans now very much a power mm. that is seen as someone who can intervene and pick a side okay, and has enough power to do that. Unfortunately, Rome does not currently want to do that. And so they are dealing with their own stuff and they are eating, fully eating popcorn Great. watching this all play Great. out. <laughs> Great. This goes on until Cleopatra leaves and moves to the Seleucid court and Ptolemy and Cleopatra III do a big second bloody purge Uh of everybody. She hangs out with the Persians for a little while, for three years, until, amazingly, she moves back in to the palace in Alexandria (laughs) with her brother who murdered her children and sent them to her as a birthday present and her daughter. Yeah, that's great. Her daughter, who's also her sister-in-law. Yeah, her daughter, who's... I mean, her sister-wife. Like... Yeah. Yeah. Because they're both married to him. Oh. And they also, yeah, have children. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because it was... The family tree was already getting a bit narrow. (laughs) But now it's just looping back on itself. It is. So they reconcile. They live a happy life for the next eight years. Sure. Until Ptolemy VIII finally died of apparently natural causes. Mm-hmm. And his son, Ptolemy IX, becomes the king with Cleopatra II and Cleopatra III. I kind of, it's kind of a Cleopatra sandwich, I suppose. Okay. And you just move a Ptolemy in. <laughs> Perfect. Right. Everything is chaos. And we've been talking for ages. So we're going to make this a two-part episode now and i'm going to stop there and you're going to have to be in suspense until next time when we come back i'm going to hold my breath the whole time the whole time the whole time like fully two until weeks. you tell me more yeah you need to find out who is having sex with who and who is murdering who and who is in cyprus being a king there and who is yeah it's a lot yeah yes until next time 
you can find us at History is Sexy and you can find Hero at monstrousproductions.org and you can find Janina at Within the Wires and support us, ask us questions. But next week we will be back with part two of the history of the Ptolemies. <laughs> now with double the incest. <laughs> 